The smack is back once again, ladies and gentlemen. And as you will have known or heard by now, I am going solo this week because, like Hulk Hogan, the storms are running wild over in America. The snow is falling and Travis's internet connection just isn't holding up. So technical difficulties have pulled us apart this week. But if you would like, then you can catch our our little special we did um, before trying to record this episode, actually, on Walter's name change. That will be on YouTube. That will be on all the channels now. And depending on where you're listening to us, then you can go to unionsmack.podbean.com, click on all the icons at the top of the page, and you can listen to us wherever you listen to all your podcasting goodness. But before we get into this edition of the Union Smack podcast, as always, you can find me on Twitter at BruiserMate. You can find Travis on Twitter at Huss Hogan. Go to unionsmack.bigcartel.com for all your Hibiki TMD merchandise needs. Union, uh, sorry, Pro Wrestling Tees. Dot com slash union smack. I I drew a blank then. Pro wrestling com forward slash union smack where you can pick up the new union smack t shirt and of course lulu.com where you can pick up a copy of my book The Undertaker A Trip Down Death Valley and NXT UK Year One. So go and check all of that goodness out. Now take two some might say because we actually got ten minutes into this pulling the curtain back for you a little bit. Me and Travis got 10 minutes into this review and then the storms hit and the technical problems ensued. So we couldn't finish it together. So here I am, take two. And we are in your house, 15, a cold day in hell. May the 11th, 1997, from the Richmond Coliseum in Richmond, Virginia. Now, unlike Travis, I got the free-for-all match, or the dark match, from the event. Rockabilly versus Jesse James. God almighty, why did we put ourselves through this? Because we love you. That's why we put ourselves through this. Now, this was a rematch from In Your House 14, which wasn't great anyway, if you listen to our review of that. We began by being shown a video package of three weeks ago where we saw the Honky Tonk Man and Rockabilly smash a guitar over Jesse James's head and Flash Funk's head. Now, Jesse James, a.k.a. the man who would go on to become Road Dog Jesse James in the New Age Outlaws, doesn't get an entrance here because it's not important. And it's clear, like two minutes into this match, the commentators... And the company just do not care. They've lost all interest in both men. Now, this is bad. Um, (laughs) This is like uber levels of of bad. And it was, like I say, it was only about four minutes long. It was disjointed. It was mistimed. And I have no idea why they bothered giving us this as a dark match. Because their match at In Your House 14 was just the pits. And this is even worse. And it's only half the time. How do you mess up four minutes of match? Well, this is how. So Jesse James comes right out the blocks with a huge hip toss. 
which is mistimed, and a drop kick to the outside, which looks like it misses Rockabilly by about a mile. The commentators very quickly lose interest in this, and they relay us the story of Ken Shamrock, who will be competing in his first WWF match on this pay-per-view, and how he was attacked backstage by Vader and Mankind. Now, we're not shown this on the free-for-all. If you watched the free-for-all, obviously, at the time in 1997, you'd have seen it all. But the specials on my DVD didn't have it. You know, don't don't have the important stuff on there. You know, the, the actual story advancement. Just dross like this match. So we're told Shamrock was attacked, which obviously, you know, sets up his baby face, come back for his match against Vader later in the show. Back to this match. You can clearly see the spot calling by Jesse James and this slows to a crawl and they're only 45 seconds to a minute in. It does speed up a little bit when Jesse James hits a crossbody, but Rockabilly puts him down with a clothesline. And then just out of nowhere, the match ends. You know, a Randy Orton special, out of nowhere. Rockabilly hits a DDT and just pins him. He just pins Jesse James. There's nothing to this match. You know, it, it's it's just terrible. And I'm not even talking about, you know, a great big Jack Roberts DDT either. I'm just talking about he comes off the ropes Jesse James has got his head down, plop in the middle of the ring, one, two, three, and everybody in the crowd just, I don't think they minded, they were just glad that this was over. The other part of the free-for-all I got on my DVD, the Hart Foundation were backstage. Bret Hart was in a wheelchair and he showed his tickets, I say his tickets, it was their tickets, that they had brought to the event because no one would help them and they had been barred. However, I will you know, point this out because we, on this podcast, if you've just joined us, then, you know, you will learn if you've been with us a long time, then you, you'll know that we just want our wrestling to make a bit of sense. And what didn't make sense was the Hart Foundation saying that they'd been barred from the arena and then doing their interview from a locker room that the company provided in front of a camera the company had clearly provided. So, you know, little criticism there. Now, we get another good opening video package hyping the main event, which is The Undertaker versus Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF Championship. And... As we're seeing highlights of The Undertaker and The Undertaker's theme plays, Steve Austin's monologue, or just his mouthing off, cuts straight through it all. It's very well done. You know, nine times out of ten on these In Your House events, it was a very, very well done intro. The first match out of the gate, for your pleasure, and I say pleasure, there, was, there wasn't a lot of it on show after the first two matches, but the first match off the rank was Flash Funk versus Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Now, Jim Ross tells us that the Funkettes aren't with Flash Funk because of the threat of China, and we saw China's debut a few weeks back, actually, um, when she choked out Marlena. Now, this, it had to be a come down for Helmsley. 
He was on his way to King of the Ring, you know, winning King of the Ring 1997. And now he's jerking the curtain against a lower mid-car talent on on pay-per-view. Now, I say it had to be a come down. And obviously it, it was. You know, he knew he was going on to win King of the Ring and then have a tremendous feud with Mankind that really helped to put him on the map as a single star. But, you know, the year he'd had wasn't great. Henry Godwin and Hogpen matches. Intercontinental title run wasn't that great because of the feud with Mark Moreau. The never-ending feud with Mark Moreau, I should say. And then, you know, being castigated by Vince McMahon and the office for the curtain call in 1996. So instead of looking at this as another, you know, another meh Triple H match on uh, in your house, I prefer to look at this as the beginning of something special for him. You know, Flash Funk, Two Cold Scorpio in the ring was very good. The Flash Funk character, if you've listened to us before, it, it was middling. But Triple H actually did very well here. There's a nice uh, hip toss. Drop kick and arm drag takeover by Flash Funk. He cartwheels out the way, hits a leg spin and sends Triple H to the outside. Then Flash Funk hits his diving cross body. But it's, I don't want to say it's cold, but it left me feeling just empty. Because we'd seen it so many times before. There was nothing with Too Cold Scorpio, you know, whether he didn't have the impetus to do anything different or new because the character had slid so far you know he came in with such gusto and you know with Vince McMahon dancing at the commentary desk etc and then by what, May 97 the company had just seen like yeah he might be talented but the gimmick is dying a death so China then gets involved she hits Flash Funk from behind on the outside and then Hunter hits him with a face smash onto the knee, another running high knee, and distracts the referee as China chokes and sh- strikes Flash Funk through the ropes. From this point on, it's very much going through the motions for Hunter. There's nothing very special at all. And the match slows to a crawl when Helmsley's in charge. And like Travis said, when we first reviewed this match, it, it's WCW 1993 is basically what we're getting from here on out. And it's a shame because had this been four minutes shorter, it could have been a cracker. But instead, you know, Hunter was a late bloomer as far as his in-ring work went. And he didn't really know how to control matches yet. And it shows in this match. Because for fuck's sake, if you can't have a good opening match with Too Cold Scorpio then what are you doing with your career? Even Al Snow as Leif Cassidy, when nobody cared about him, put on an absolute banger with Two Cold Scorpio. So Helmsley hits Flash Funk with a high knee from the apron and Funk hits the ramp hard face first. It looks like a botch, but after all these years, it's not. Funk counters a top rope fall with a standing boot, which looked absurd Helmsley came off of that top rope and he just fell. He just dropped through the air like shit through a goose. Not even attempting a move. And then Funk hits a lovely spinning leg drop, top rope corkscrew crossbody. 
But Helmsley hits a back suplex from the top, which actually that was very nice. It took Flash Funk like 90 degrees over face first and wins with the pedigree. And it was worrying, actually, that two years into a main stage career and Helmsley hadn't really evolved at all, not in character, not in ring work. And thank God for DX, because God knows where it had been without Shawn Michaels and without the ability you know, to break out and be humorous. Because th- this character was very much dying a death, in my opinion, and it was growing stale. Uh, China then carries Flash Funk around the ring and crotches him, and as Travis pointed out, his little nuts on the top rope to end this match. <clears throat> now, we go to a video package of Ken Shamrock in the UFC to hype him for the match with Vader. And it's it's not a bad video package, but it does neglect you know, the fact that he was a professional wrestler before this. And then we go to a live interview with Ken Shamrock, who talks about the attack by Vader and Mankind on the free-for-all says he's not shaken and he is in the zone. Now, as I pointed out um, on the first go-around, I was disappointed with this for the sole reason that this is the second in your house after WrestleMania. You've already had, had Ken Shamrock in a starring role at WrestleMania 13. He served as a special guest referee for Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. And then nothing. And then they bring him in for this match with Vader which, you know, a UFC fighter against one of the most dangerous big men in the history of the industry should have been brilliant. Ken Shamrock's attack should have been on the main pay-per-view, not on a free-for-all that barely anyone brought. And believe me, barely anyone bought the free-for-alls in 1997 just because they weren't, you know, really worth it. Like the kickoff shows in the present, they just were not worth it whatsoever. Um, Shamrock's interview wasn't great. Like I said, we 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 saw the the sneak attack from Vader and Mankind, maybe two or three seconds worth of footage. Had it all happened on the pay per view, it would have given it much more meaning and you know an overarching story. But they didn't have the foresight to do that. Next up, we get Mankind versus Rocky Maivia. Now. Rocky Maivia had lost a lot of momentum going into this match and this in your house. He dropped the Intercontinental title to Owen Hart the month before, and there was nothing really going for him story-wise. He was in the you know he was in the transitional phase now of babyface to heel. The die Rocky die chance were there. He would injure himself in a match with Mankind a few weeks after this. It would put him out until August from where he'd come back and join the Nation of Domination. Then he'd have that great story which just elevated him where he you know, seized power of the Nation from Farouk and had Farouk kicked out, etc. Now, I'm not sure, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm not sure whether that story was meant to be expedited prior to his injury and it was meant to be the story for Rocky Maivia through the summer, but plans had to be changed. Before the bout begins, Todd Pettingill is with Rocky Maivia. 
backstage. Um, they've shown his debut at Survivor Series. They go through all the accolades he's racked up since November 1996. And then Todd asks him if it came too soon. Rocky says yes, but he's learned a lot going up and down and about his own determination. And there's no smiley rock here. You know, there's no perfectly white teeth with a glint. You can see the heel attitude oozing through him. And it, it, it you know, promo wise, he's still got a lot to learn. But, it, it, you know, the look wise is very good. As for this match, I'm not going to say first class because we've seen better matches. But what I will say before we get into the match itself is what, you know, me and Travis talked about on take one is that mankind slash Mick Foley doesn't get enough credit for his 96, 97 run. And what I mean by that is that he took some legends, i.e. the undertaker and some up and comers like the rock, like Austin, particularly Hunter Hearst Helmsley. And he made them all better. Mick Foley was that type of wrestler who could make other men around him, even if they weren't great, better. Arguably, The Undertaker didn't really click in the ring until 1996 when Mick Foley got there. You'll have your own opinions on that. There are podcasts out there solely dedicated to The Undertaker who probably would disagree with me. But like I I wrote in the book, it was really Mick Foley that spurred Mark Calloway to try harder. Because before Mick Foley, Mark Calloway had had, you know, Giant Gonzalez, Kamala, Mr. Hughes, Yoko. You know, the list goes on and on of big men. One percent of that list you know, could really wrestle and bring something out of The Undertaker. But then Mick Foley came along and it was almost a necessity that whoever he stepped in the ring with, you know, had to step up to his level. Undertaker did it. Hunter Hearst Helmsley did it in their feud, which was to come through King of the Ring, through SummerSlam. And Rocky Maivia did it here. There was no choice. Because Mick Foley was at such a level, this match really brought out the best in in Rocky Maivia. Now, there was a... A brawl outside. Maivia hits a lovely power slam off of a rebound, but there are some awkward missed times from him, which it make it a little bit clunky and disjointed at the beginning. Mankind with a lovely apron cannonball to the outside mauls Rocky Maivia as he throws him back inside. And at this point, I will say the crowd are dead. They're playing to library silence. Maivia hits a snapmare over the top rope, which looked fantastic. They both fight up the aisle, and then we get the soundbite of the match, really. The rock bottom on the aisle, and that brings the crowd around. They snap out of their slumber. They're on their feet, and you can hear Mick Foley's head connect with the back of... I said the back, the back of his head, I should say, connect with the aisle. It's a sick, sick crack. There is no story to this at all, I will say. It's just a series of moves that not, you know, meant nothing. Mankind counters a a crossbody with the mandible claw, and that's what gets in the win. It's not a great match, but 
obviously it's it's a better match than Rocky Maivir has had yet in maybe in you know his entire run in WWF up to this point. Certainly he's in your house career. So I you know I would give this match a watch. It's not great by any standards, but it's it's sort of a evolution for Rocky Maivir really. So next up. We are shown Crush wrestling three jobbers from the previous week's Monday Night Raw. Uh, now, <laughs> what happens is it's, this is all the lead up to Armour Johnson versus the Nation of Domination in a three on one handicap match. So the story was you know, Crush could take on three men to show how dangerous and foreboding the nation were but Ahmed Johnson took the place of the third man with his face covered uh, by what looked like a very suspicious pair of tights like he was gonna he was almost certainly robbing a bank after this match and then he just pearl river plunge pin crush that was the lead into the match which was set up at in your house 14 when Ahmed Johnson was challenged to take on all three members of the Nation of Domination in one match. And the stipulation to that match was if the Nation lost, they would have to disband. Now, Jesus Christ almighty, I warned you people. I warned you that the worst was yet to come after we reviewed Rocky Maivia versus Savio Vega in your house 14. I was not wrong, but part of me is just sad that Travis isn't here to review this because this was absolutely abysmal. Three-on-one handicap match, easily, I would say, the worst thing that we have had to watch and will have to watch all year, and it's only the like middle of January. So Jim Ross gives all three Nation of Domination members a reason not to win this. A bad shoulder, a bad ankle, a cold. Todd Pettingill is backstage with Ahmed Johnson. He says the odds are stacked and challenges Farouk to get in first, saying, me or you, someone's going to the end. I don't know what this was. It was another terrible Ahmed Johnson promo, just... Absolutely shitty. Gorilla Monsoon is present. He sends all the members of the nation to the top of the ramp so they don't interfere. And interference would have been so welcome in this match. Crush is up first. Armand Johnson versus Crush starts this. And almost straight off the bat, Ahmed just botches a scissor kick. He hits him the wrong way with the wrong leg. And they both fall very awkwardly to the mat. And you can almost hear the roll of the eyes from the audience as one. Ahmed Johnson's selling is amazingly poor here. It's just outstanding how bad he was. Not at just wrestling, but at selling. You know, he takes a bump on the super kick. <laughs> in a way, and in a way, it's brilliant. Because he doesn't fall like you would. You know, we've all seen Shawn Michaels hit a super kick on anyone and the way they fall, it's the, you know, it's the correct way. 
Ahmed Johnson, and I don't know why I'm laughing, because this match nearly made me cry. Um, it was so bad. Ahmed Johnson. <laughs> oh, God. Crush hits him with a super kick. Not the greatest super kick in the world. Admittedly, it was Crush. But nonetheless, it was a super kick. And instead of just falling backwards, <laughs> Ahmed Johnson jumps backwards as if he's just put a foot on a skateboard and gone back. And it is, it's the, the most brilliantly funny thing I think I've, I've seen in a wrestling match in years. Just amazing. But selling-wise, I will say he looks like he is coming all throughout of this match. You know, the... <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, why do we do this? Um, yeah, the look on his face, it's like he's ejaculating constantly throughout this match. And it's a long match, so <laughs> all the credit to you, Ahmed. He tries a falcon arrow, which looks horrible. And you know, th this part of the match is just disgusting in every way imaginable. Johnson counters a heart punch with an awful spin kick, pins Crush to eliminate him. Thank God that's over. And then comes Savio Vega, limps to the ring, hits a lovely spinning kick in the corner, but now this has reached the point where it's excruciating to watch. Um, and this this part of the match, it's almost six minutes, six minutes of nothing. It's mostly notable for the distract, distracting wedgie on the right cheek of Ahmed Johnson. It is pulled up magnificently tight. Savio rolls outside, hits a super kick, and then gets disqualified for attacking Ahmed Johnson with a chair in which he targets the leg. Obviously, to set up Farouk coming in next. So Farouk has got an easy target. Farouk gets in, pulls off the uh, the bandage on the shoulder, the sling thing, to reveal that his shoulder is, you know, fully healed. <clears throat> and this, this is pretty much short and sweet. Ahmed Johnson fights back with a hideous spine buster, goes to the Pearl River Plunge, but he can't pin Farouk in time. Farouk kicks out and then chop blocks the leg and wins with the Dominator. Absolutely terrible. I wouldn't usually recommend you go back and watch matches like this that are as bad as this. But I want you, I specifically want you to sit through this for Ahmed Johnson's selling and Ahmed Johnson's facial expressions. You will hate every minute of this match. But it is worth it just for that. I absolutely promise you. <laughs> oh, dear. We're then taken back to... <laughs> Why am I even laughing about it? It was painful. We are then taken back to Monday Night Raw to see Vader spitting in Ken Shamrock's face and the pair brawling in the ring. And then we get Todd Pettengill and Vader backstage. We are shown more footage of them attacking Ken Shamrock on the free-for-all, which is just the same footage. It's nothing special or... Oh. Vader said he was playing with Ken Shamrock, 
And then Todd Pettingill reminds us that there's only one way to win this match, and that is submission or knockout. Vader does, you know, to his credit, talk a very good game here. Yeah, I don't think he gets in, you know enough credit for his verbal skills. But, you know, as a mastodon, even though basically they'd lost interest in him as a talent, he, he was, you know, able on the stick. No holds barred. Ken Shamrock versus Vader. And what was the theme for this Ken Shamrock's entrance? It was just... It was almost like zippity-doo-dah, zippity... It was terrible. The match. Oh, this match. Ken Shamrock goes for leg kicks and submission holds. Vader goes for, like, knockouts and strikes. So, that you know, they play to their strengths and their arsenals. Shamrock... Don't know how he does it, but he hits two huge German suplexes that flip Vader. And the match is really stiff. Like You can tell they are striking each other for real. Yeah, Ken Shamrock has clearly forgotten how to be a professional wrestler. He's, he, he sticks with the UFC stuff and he punches and kicks Vader so hard that it's visible... At one point in the match, Vader rolls out, adjusts his mask, and then as he's climbing back in the ring, you can hear him shouting, ease up, to Ken Shamrock. But Shamrock doesn't. There's a lovely roll through into an ankle lock, which Vader escapes. And then Vader has to start fighting fire with fire. And he hits back. And he hits back hard. Vader... Lovely suplex over the top rope to Shamrock. I say suplex, he, he just dumps him. It's almost a, a fuck you. You're not going to go easy on me, so I'm going to hurt you equally as much as you're hurting me. And then we see Vader bleeding from the nose. And this is from previous strikes from Ken Shamrock's knee. And it, he actually broke Vader's nose during this match. That That's you know just how wild he was. Vader goes for submission and a choke. Uh, there's a Vader splash in the corner, but he misses the moonsault, but he still gets some because Ken Shamrock rolls the wrong fucking way. He he rolls into it rather than out of it, if you know what I mean. Shamrock tries various submission moves, including a single-leg Boston Crab and an ankle vice. Vader then... And this is a good bit. They're fighting in the corner. Shamrock is, is punching him. And Vader's trying to swat him away like a fly. In other words, he's, he's like, you have to ease up now. Because you're, you're literally punching the shit out of me. And then Ken Shamrock doesn't listen. And Vader, like a big bear, Vader just clobbers him. And I mean, he hits him around the head so hard that they... It looks like it, it you know, could have took his head off. Shamrock collapses to the match. And then they, they somehow work out the ending. And Shamrock wins by submission with an ankle lock. It's a terrible finish. Weak. It's as weak as a newborn kitten. But I think Vader clearly wanted it over with. You know, it's very stiff and awkward. 
it was hurting Vader. It was hurting Shamrock. They both looked like they'd been through a 50-minute you know, war. I would say go and watch this as well for the simple reason that I can't do justice how stiff and how hard and how ultimately good it is to see two men just beating the shit out of each other. And that's what this is. There's very little cooperation here. You know, you're not you're not gonna see any backflips into hurricane runners, you know, into kip ups. This is just knock down, drag out, blow for blow. And uh, you know I know our audience and I, I think you're all savage enough to like this very much. So we're taken backstage where Todd Pettingill was with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Austin is heart, asked about the hearts and is told that they'll be that much closer. And he says then he'll send them all back to Calgary in wheelchairs. We then see Austin hitting a stunner on The Undertaker two weeks ago and then he gets a chokeslam as a receipt which Todd Pettengill calls a tombstone. Of course he does. The main event of In Your House 15, A Cold Day in Hell, is The Undertaker versus Stone Cold Steve Austin for the WWF Championship. And oh boy. (laughs) So to begin with, the Hart Foundation, of course, come down. They take their seats at ringside in the front row and you know they say they've been banned but they come through the curtain because you would wouldn't you you know you've been banned but you you'd be allowed in the locker room in front of a camera and then to make your entrance down the aisle through gorilla position just logic please make it make sense match time austin attacks the undertaker they slug it out and then austin just slips out the ring and pulls owen hart over the barricade Undertaker slams Austin into the steps and then The Undertaker attacks Owen Hart just for no reason, for for shits and giggles, basically. There is a lovely pace to this early on as The Undertaker dominates. Flying clothesline, old school, Austin takes it all. And then Steve Austin goes for an eye poke and a side headlock. And this side headlock slows this match to a crawl. But it's not just two minutes. It It's repetitive. He does it a second time. He does it a third time. And then the crowd just die a death. They've sat through all this so far. They've sat just sat through Ahmed Johnson taking on Farouk Crush and Savio Vega. And now they're watching, basically, the WWF champion, a legend already in The Undertaker, and the man who is going to sit atop the WWF throne in 1998 just lay in the middle of the ring in a a stoic headlock. And that is it. That is it for about five minutes of this match. And it's baffling. So instead of just watching this, the camera cuts into the audience where a crowd member is trying to get to Bret Hart, uh, but Jim Neidhart sort of, Muscles him back as the security take him away. And then as we go back to the action, Austin goes to the leg and the match explodes again. There is the story 
of The Undertaker's injured leg as Austin targets it. He There's a lovely counter here where Austin counters the tombstone with a reverse leg trip and an STF. And there are parts of this, I'm not going to lie, unexpectedly sloppy. And you wouldn't expect that from Austin. <clears throat> and I know there are people who say, well, it was 97, Steve Austin. It was like, yeah, but as studying Steve Austin in WCW, he was crisp. He was technically sound. There's no reason he shouldn't have been here. I know it wasn't part of the character, you know, to be a, a technical genius. He was obviously more of a knockdown, drag out type of guy. But there's no reason it should have been as sloppy as this looked. And, you know, the, the crowd fed off of it because they were lukewarm at best now. And it made it a bit of a slog to watch. The match goes outside. Undertaker goes to Austin's knee with submission moves. And it's tit for tat as they trade blows and moves to the leg. Undertaker hits a Harlem side kick, which was nice to see. Very unusual. And then Austin counters old school by crotching, crotching the Undertaker on his little nuts, as Travis would say. But Taker counters a suplex and drops Steve Austin front first. There's a jawbreaker out of a sleeper, which, the, you know, the commentary, they, they can't tell whether it's a Stone Cold Stunner or not, which it's not. And then Austin hits a low blow. Gets into an argument with El Hebner. The Undertaker then nails a low blow on Steve Austin. And there's a beautiful moment here where El Hebner just flips off Steve Austin as he's laying in agony on the ground and quite clearly shouts, fuck you, to pop the crowd. Choke slam, Stone Cold Stunner. But then as Austin goes for the pin, Brian Pillman rings the bell for the distraction, and as Austin is flipping him off and mouthing off, Undertaker hits a tombstone. There's a nice reversal of it before that, where they they go sort of backwards. So Austin looks like he's going to, you know, deliver it, and then the Undertaker forces his weight backwards and then hits a tombstone for the win. After the match, the Hart Foundation invade. They attack the Undertaker. But Austin goes straight for Bret Hart, <clears throat> tips him out of his wheelchair, steals his crutches, and attacks the Hart Foundation with the crutches. And as the Hart Foundation is scarpering to the back, Austin returns to the ring and hits a stunner on The Undertaker and then chases Bret Hart up the aisle. It's a well-done ending. Um, it protected Austin so he didn't have to be pinned completely clean. It continued, you know, the furore with the Heart Foundation, which would lead into a Canadian Stampede in your house 16, which we will be reviewing in a week or two's time. It wasn't a great match. I, I didn't enjoy this at all. The crowd were dead. And the whole thing seemed a bit just lazy to me. When you think of Austin Undertaker, you know that they had thrillers. SummerSlam 98 was one of their best together. This just wasn't at the races. And the whole show for me, I, I know Travis didn't hate this show, but the whole In Your House 15 just seemed a little bit rushed to me. 
And I know it's only two hours long and they've got a lot to fit in, a lot of stories to pack in. But, you know, start to structure your pay-per-views better. All in all, not the worst one we've, we've seen, not the best one we've seen. For me, that, come, that comes next. You know, In Your House 16, without giving too much away, is everything an In Your House should be. I would rate this C. Um, I, I think it sits in the middle. There's some good stuff here. The opening match isn't terrible. The the main event is a letdown. And, but the Ahmed Johnson thing just drags the arse out of this show completely. At least 13 minutes of this. But do like I said, do watch it and <laughs> you won't regret it. No, that's a lie. You will regret it. But go and watch it anyway because there are some just little nuggets of gold. And that caps off this week's Union Spat podcast, In Your House 15, A Cold Day in Hell. We are another showdown, another In Your House down. The train carries on. Next week, hopefully, tech issues, you know, willing, we will be reviewing the Royal Rumble 1994 for Royal Rumble Week, as chosen by you good people on Twitter. There will also be a special extra episode a classic review from the youtube channel from i think it was two years ago we did it of the 2005 raw rumble so look out for both of those next week keep an eye on the twitter pages all the information's there the union smack twitter page uh, my twitter page travis's his twitter page we will let you know what's coming up and all that's left for me to say is Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for putting up with me. I know, you know, Travis will be back next week because hopefully the storms will have subsided. But until then, you can find me on Twitter at Bruisermate. Follow the Union Smack podcast on Twitter at Union Smack. Travis at Hus Hogan. Go to unionsmack.bigcartel.com for all your Habiki TMD merchandise needs. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash unionsmack for the official Union Smack merchandise. Lulu.com where you can pick up copies of my books, The Undertaker, Trip Down Death Valley and NXT UK Year One. And if you want anything else, just go to the Podbean page and if you're on you know, a laptop or a computer... All the links to everything are at the top of the page. The podcast site links are there too. Go and click on that. If you're on mobile, top right corner, three bars, click them. It will drop down menu and take you to everything I've just mentioned. So, ladies and gentlemen, until next week, Royal Rumble Week. Cheerio, mates.